Well, I'll say it again. I've enjoyed being here this week with you. I've enjoyed being with Kelly and Susan, or at least Susan. No, I'm kidding. Kel <coughs> Kelly is my friend and stuff, but it has been, it's been a wonderful time. So thank you again. I've enjoyed getting to know your pastor just a little bit. I think he's an all right guy. I think he got an all right guy. And so uh, I hope I've made a friend in him. Um, if, if I haven't, don't tell me. It'll be a long trip, you know, otherwise feeling bad for myself. But um, I will say real quick that I pray, I'll be praying for you over the next year because I make it my habit um, for the year to pray for the churches that I'm in for revival. So from tonight for a year, I will be praying for you because I believe that God isn't finished. I believe that there's a lot that he wants to accomplish right here on North Jones. And so I'm going to be praying that you guys get in on what he wants to do. And I would ask that you would pray for me as well. I know that there are people here that do pray for me. Um, I, I know that. Don't stop. The older I get, the more I realize how much I need it. Um, and there are people all over the place that pray. There are youth groups. There are senior adult Sunday school classes. I get messages every week. I've gotten them this week from people asking me how the revival's been going in Rock Hill at First Church. And they've been telling me that they've been praying that something would happen. And, and I appreciate that so much. And if you would do that, I, I would appreciate it. And you can find my schedule at BillyHuddleston.com. On there, I don't know if it says schedule, calendar, or itinerary. You'll know what it is. Just click on it, and you'll see where I'm going to be. I'll leave here tonight, and I'll head up to Sevierville to be with family in Tennessee. I've, I've got a wedding to do. I'd rather do a funeral. Any other preachers feel that way? I, you all look so serious. It's my first cousin's kid. It's, I tell everybody else no, but it's hard to tell family no. So I'm going up there to be there Thursday and Friday and Saturday after the wedding. I will head to Charleston, um, West Virginia. I started to say South Carolina. Charleston, West Virginia to start revival on Sunday morning. And so I need your prayers, and I, I would appreciate it. Um, I want to do something tonight that... Uh, has been on my mind today. It's a it's a uh, different place than I would expect to be at the closing of revival service, uh, but it's what the Lord has placed on my heart. Luke chapter twenty three. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter twenty three. And somehow I feel like I might be preaching this sermon just for one point. I'm gonna give you all of them, but I feel like it might be just for one. And so my prayer is is that we would be open to receive whatever it is that He has for us. And, and if we're open to that, I think by the time we leave here, we can be changed. Do you believe that? I believe every one of us can be different. In fact, I know we will be different by the time we leave this place than when we came. My prayer is that we'll be closer to him. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 38. And an inscription also was written over Jesus in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. 
But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you remember the setting of our text. It's Passover Friday, somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D., springtime, and of course, Jesus has been crucified. We know on this side of the story that everything had been leading up to this moment. Even the disciples at this point should have realized that this is what was going to occur because Jesus had been speaking very openly about the plan. And you'll recall that it was he who entered into the city of Jerusalem willingly. He wasn't dragged there kicking and screaming. He entered in on his own. And it's such a powerful image on the day that he enters in because it would be on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. You remember that day when little kids march around here waving palm branches? You also realize that somebody has to clean up that mess. But, but, but anyhow, uh, we would refer to it on our Christian calendar as Palm Sunday. But in this hour, it was probably best referred to as Lamb Selection Day. Because this was the time that scholars will say that some two and a half million devout Jewish individuals had gathered in the city of David with the express purpose of selecting their Passover lamb. You remember why they would select that lamb? Because in that celebration of the Passover, they would commemorate what God had done. We talked about it just a little bit the other night, how God had brought them out of Egypt land. But in that commemoration, they would also anticipate what God was going to do because they believed that God was going to renew the exodus. They believed that God was going to send a deliverer, that Messiah was going to come. And it's such a powerful image because while over two and a half million individuals were busy about their religious routine, as they were caught up in their religious activity, ritual God is doing something incredible this year we watch as God is sending his lamb and he's confronting those people in that hour and he confronts us in ours as well will you choose my lamb because you know this year the sacrifice will be sufficient you know this year when one drop of his blood begins to flow it becomes a river that opens up a door because every wall has been torn down between God and man and a door is opened and an invitation is heralded through to one and all to come into an entirely new category of being because of what the lamb is going to do you and I can be sons and daughters of God the confrontation was there the confrontation is here will you choose my lamb so the confrontation goes on on that day it's an incredible picture because we know that Jesus had lived a life of love And in return, it seemed all he received was hate. He had extended acceptance and forgiveness to everyone that he had come in contact with. And what he got in return was rejection. 
And ultimately, now we see his execution. And even in his suffering there at Calvary, we can see the contrast of two kingdoms. We can see the hatred amongst the people. The same people who might have cried out Hosanna days before, now they're standing there at the foot of that cross. We can hear their sarcasm. We see the mockery. It was a joke to them. That's why the sign was placed upon Jesus above Jesus' head. The notion that Jesus was any kind of king was simply laughable to them. And yet in the midst of the hatred, we see love displayed. We see it and hear it extended as the words fall down from the cross onto that crowd. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in the midst of it all, if you'll look closely, we'll begin to see that a hardened heart will begin to soften. We'll begin to notice that an enslaved prisoner would be freed. And ultimately, before our eyes, a conversion would take place. Now, it's important for us to remember part, uh, really parts of the story because we know the road that led to this moment had been long. 33 years, actually, it had been laid from the foundation of the world, but we know it had been playing out since the manger. This really is why he came. It was foreshadowed as he was wrapped in grave cloth there in the manger. We call them swaddling clothes, but scholars will tell you that it was grave cloth that was tucked away for a quick disposal of a body, a quick burial process. And here we see a newborn babe wrapped in grave cloth. It's such an image that ultimately he came to die. It's an incredible picture because every step up to this moment, there had been so many good times. I mean, how could we ever forget? You're a Wednesday night crowd. I believe most of you are good people. Some of the bad ones have come back tonight. I'm just kidding. Kind of. And if that made you mad, and if you haven't been here, no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I'm just, just playing with you. Uh, every step, there have been so many good times. Who could forget the lives that had been changed? And yet, in the midst of all the good, there were some that were seemingly not so good. In fact, the last few days, the last hours that led to this moment, you could say were truly unbelievable. Who could forget the betrayal that came from one of his closest associates, one of his closest friends, in such an intimate way, a kiss upon his cheek? That betrayal led to the beating, beatings upon beatings, and then a trial or at least a mockery that we call a trial. I say it was such a mockery because you realize how ludicrous this picture is, don't you? This is not a thief. This is not a murderer. He's not a rapist. He's not a con. This is God's darling son. This is the one that has come to make everything right. This is the one that had opened blinded eyes. This is the one that had caused lame people to get up and dance around. This is the one that even brought dead people back to life. He was nothing but good, but now he stands there to be judged. It's the creator being judged by his creator. 
Christian. Now, how crazy is that? And yet we watch it playing out. And even in the moments of this trial, even Pilate, the one who's going to pass down sentence, says that he finds no fault in him. Do you remember the scene from Scripture? It was a little bit before in chapter 23 where we read tonight. I want to read it to you just so you can see the intensity. Beginning with 13 of Luke chapter 23. It says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, said to them, You've brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I'll therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, crying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, do you see the picture? Why? What evil has this man done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of those men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Do you see the picture? Even the one that will pass down Judgment says there's no reason for this. Three times there's no fault in this man. He is not deserving of death. But the people continually cry out. They cry out for this one known as Barabbas, who was a rioter, who was an insurrectionist. He was a known murderer, and yet they cry out for his release. Three times the scene plays out, so we watch that Pilate releases Barabbas to the people, and Jesus takes the criminal's place. It's the story of the gospel. You do realize that, don't you? I I won't spend a lot of time here right now, but that is the story of the gospel. So now we have the cross that was fashioned for another man, placed upon the shoulder of Jesus, dragged down the Via Dolorosa to the place of the skull. We see the suffering having taken the criminal's place. Now he hangs there. Truly between heaven and earth, he is in the midst of two criminals, one on each side. And it brings us back to the heartbreaking scene. We're there in that moment and we hear the insults as they're being hurled up. And only words of love, grace, and forgiveness are falling down. And you would think, I don't know how your mind works. But you would think, I would think, that if there'd be anybody in this scene that would show compassion... If there would be anybody in this scene that would have some kind of understanding, 
you would think that it would be the fellow sufferers, those who are experiencing, they were on crosses as well. You understand this, they too were considered cursed. They were being executed. They knew the pain. And yet we watch in the ugliness of this moment, even they mock Jesus. Now Luke doesn't paint that picture clearly, but both Matthew and Mark will say that it's not only one of the criminals hurling insults in Jesus' direction. It's both. They're both saying things like, if you're truly the king, if you're truly the one, then get yourself out of this mess. Not only get yourself out of this mess, but get us out of it too. So we watch them as they both mock and blast. Do you understand tonight? We have become so familiar. Do you see how strong the hatred is of this moment? Even though they face the same punishment, they use what little bit of energy they have left. They use their last breaths for this. They mock him. But Luke does something intriguing. He brings us to the point where one of these criminals grows silent. So now we only hear the mocking call of the other. Only one of them now are hurling insults in Jesus' direction. One is thinking of their immediate circumstance. Something else is beginning to happen in the other. I can't help but think that we, we, something is beginning to change. You could say that there's a transformation going on. It's almost as though there's a 180 degree turnaround in his thought process. And then he has a realization. And in a moment of clarity, amidst all the confusion of that moment, we watch as this man now focuses his attention to the other criminal and he begins to rebuke him. Do you remember the words that he spoke? We read them together. Don't you fear God we deserve what we're getting. He doesn't. And then he speaks to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's incredible. I, I can't help but ask in my analytical mind, what happened? I, I mean, this is as dramatic as Saul on the Damascus Road. He's had an encounter. Now we know that God through Christ had invaded humanity 33 years before. We know that on that hillside that day that God had invaded that place. But now we see in a very intimate way, a real way, that God has invaded this man's life. And dramatically he realizes in whose presence he is. And we see that in that moment, in that realization, that the unredeemable is redeemed. The man is changed before our very eyes. The unredeemable has been it's so powerful and we won't spend a lot of time but look at the miracle that occurred we see that in verse 40 he becomes aware and displays a fear of god and some of y'all we, we've been talking a little bit of, about the fear of god this word means a reverential awe it's realizing who we are and who he is 
And because of that, there is a reverence. Oh, we lack a fear of God. Not a a fear that he's going to beat us over our head, but just understanding our place and realizing his. Some of us have taken his place. That's why we live the way we do. That's why we act the way we do. That's why we want to control things in circles like this. We need to get back to the place where we understand who he is. And by his grace, we operate as who we are. But we see that he becomes aware and displays a fear of God in verse 40. And then in verse 41, he recognizes his guilt. You remember his words? He doesn't deserve this, but we do. Verse 41b and 42, he recognizes and affirms who Jesus is. He's an innocent man. And then in the request for forgiveness, he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, the reason why I say he recognizes who Jesus is, because you realize tonight, in order for one to have a kingdom, he must be a king. Now, I know some of us think we rule our world from our lazy boy, but the reality is, is your world is pretty small. You don't really have a kingdom. You might have a spouse that's afraid of you or, or, or whatever, but, but that's not a kingdom. Somebody else needs to come in and put you in your place. Well, I'll just leave my business out of it. But anyhow, you know, we see stuff. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So obviously he understands that Jesus is the king. So hear it. He says, remember me, a criminal. I'm deserving of punishment. When you, the king, come into your In other words, in the presence of the king, he is crying out, save me and so we watch in verse 43 and we've talked about this all week aren't you glad that we have a god we saw it especially when we talked about habakkuk but aren't you glad that we have a god that only list not only listens but responds jesus hears What the man is saying in verse 43, he responds to him. He says, verily, if you're reading the King James, or truly, I assure you, assuredly, some of your translations. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus speaks words of assurance? Aren't you thankful there doesn't have to be any doubt? You can... Not to sound cliche, but you can know that you know that you know that you know. He speaks words of assurance. He says, I assure you, there is no doubt today. So I want you to see the immediateness of his response. And the evangelist in me wants to remind you tonight that today is the day of salvation. If the Spirit speaks to you, don't harden your heart to Him. See, we have a bad habit of saying, we'll deal with it later. But see, what you have done is you have responded, and you have responded in the negative. And every response you make changes you. Whenever we come together in His presence just like this, the only option we don't have is to be the same. 
Not one of us will be the same for having been together in this place in his presence. We'll either be farther from him or we'll be closer. So if he is speaking to you tonight, don't wait to deal with it. None of us are promised another moment. I'm not one of these people, I hope you know me by now, who wants to say you can walk out here and get hit by a car and your life would be over. I I don't do that. I don't want to scare the hell out of you. I said it like it came out. You know what I'm talking about. I I want something real. Mickey just looked at me like you shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, maybe. Thing I, I guess maybe I shouldn't have. I, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, I mean, the truth is you could go out there and hit, be hit by a car and your life comes in. I don't know. But I, I don't want to play with your emotions. We ought to just want to get ready for whenever that time may be. None of us know today is the day of salvation. He says, I assure you, today you will be with me. Pause here for a moment. He is with him. I mean, as they're hanging there, he is with him. So there's the present circumstance. But in the statement, there's a future reality as well. Aren't you glad that we have a future reality? You will be with me. So you are, but you will be with me where? In paradise. And and to be true to scholarship here, I've got to tell you, there's a lot of different opinions on what Jesus means when he says that you'll be with me in paradise. There are different schools of thought. There's one school of thought that believes that when Jesus is saying that you will be with me in paradise, it's that Abraham's bosom type place. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man, when he died, he went to a place of torment, looked over this great chasm, saw Lazarus. Isn't it interesting that his name is mentioned? Obviously, God knew his name. It's recorded. I wonder, is your name recorded? But he's in that place of comfort. And some people would say that this is Abraham's bosom, that place uh, awaiting that great judgment. I don't know. There are other people that will say, when, when he speaks of being with me in paradise, he's actually talking about glory. He's turned over the cabin down here, and he's got his mansion over there. You know, he's going to go, and he's checking in. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't know. I'm going to take it a little bit further. I don't care. You want to know why? Because wherever it is, it's better than hanging on a cross. And he'll be with Jesus. He speaks these words today. I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus responds. It's such an incredible picture that we've probably seen or read over and over and over again. But I want to bring you back to a statement that I made, I believe, on Sunday night. 
I told you, I've been amazed as I've been going through the Old Testament and being reacquainted with some of the characters and stories and the paths that the lives that they lived took. I'm beginning to realize that these are our stories. And when I look at the story of what's happening here this day, I have to say to you as well, thank God this is our story. You understand what we have just gone through? is our story. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? This is our story because Jesus has taken our place. As I mentioned before, just like Barabbas, we have all stood guilty. We are all guilty of breaking God's law. I know some of you all think you're pretty holy, but here's the thing that Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all stood accused in his presence. If it weren't booger for his precious blood, there'd be no hope for us. Jesus has taken our place. See, the reason why this is such a big deal is this. In not saving himself, Jesus has saved every one of us. I'm going to say that again. In not saving our himself, Jesus has saved every one of us. You do realize he didn't have to do it. I believe some people go through life feeling as if that was owed to them. No, Jesus did not have to do it. And once again, I'm going to say it, we sing some dumb songs He could have called 10,000 angels. Could I just remind you tonight? Hebrews makes it obvious and we should know it anyhow. He created angels. He didn't need a one of them. He could have spoken the words and his enemies would have fallen at his feet. Wait a minute, that happened. He could have been out of here. But because he he chose that path of not saving himself, he saved, and and we also sing this, and some of you are really going to get mad at me over this, but I'm going home anyhow. I love Dottie Rambo. She's a great songwriter. Uh, There's a song on one of my CDs called The Artist. That everybody wants to say Chuck Milhuff wrote, but it was Dottie Rambo. He wrote the paintbrush. Dottie Rambo wrote the artist. But anyhow, um, we sing, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Not really. I I don't want you to misunderstand it, but to be biblical. When he was on the cross, the father's heart was on his mind. That's why he prayed in the garden. If there's any other way, uh, let's do it. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done. The Father's heart, and you're saying, well, Billy, where are you getting this from? Dottie knew more than you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says that it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons. So who is the him that we are speaking of? Who has sons? The father. 
we see that his desire from the beginning was not just for a son. His desire wasn't simply for a hundred South Carolinian sons. He wanted a few Buckeyes too. Thank God for that. But see, the problem was is that the sons chose an existence of their own making. They messed it up. And there was nothing the sons could do to ever recover that spot, the intended relationship. And so when there was nothing that the sons could do, the father's heart was for many sons, so what does he do? Hebrews 2.10 tells us that he sent the prince. He sent the captain. The word actually means he sent the trailblazer. He sent the son. Oh, don't you see it? It's the gospel, Hebrews 2.10. To be made perfect through his sufferings. Why? So the sons could become who they were intended to be. Oh, see, that's shout worthy right there. The son went through what he went through. To fulfill the Father's heart. So, so when he was on the cross, the Father's heart was on his mind. But the beautiful thing is, you were on the Father's heart. Can I say to you tonight, you're on his heart tonight. Oh, I'm preaching good and you don't even realize it. This is our story. Because Jesus has taken our place. This is our story. And because it is our story, I want you to hear this. It shows me that you can't do anything about your past. I want you to hear that. I think somebody needs to receive that. You say, well, why would you pull that out of the midair? Well, you remember when this man's hanging there on the cross? After Jesus redeems him, after his life, he's not getting off that cross to go back and change anything. There's nothing he can do to change anything that's led up to this moment. And the reality is, as badly as you may want to, there is nothing you can do to change what has happened up to this point. You cannot do anything about your past. And the reason I think that's so important for us to hear is because I meet people all the time, almost every week, who will say things like this, well, how could God ever use me because I've... Or, well, if you'd have known who I used to be, then you wouldn't... Now, some people look back with a gleam in their eye as if those were the good old days. If you think those were the good old days, you hadn't got it. Other people are defeated by the enemy reminding them of some of you the best advice I could give you and I'm just going to say it plainly since we're running out of time the best advice I could give you is to let it go quit beating yourself up well I wasn't the dad I should have been you probably weren't but what are you going to do about it now you can't go back and change that well, I wasn't the mom to my girl. You probably weren't. You probably stunk. But what are you going to do now about it? 
You can't go back and change your past. And if we truly believe the statement that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 2 as he looks at the man who's laying in the mat, that everybody there associated his condition with sin. If we truly believe what Jesus said, do you remember what he said? He said, son, your sins, the statement is actually, sins are forgiven. We add the your, but it's, a, it's not, the statement is a general statement of fact. It's, 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 it's the reality that sin is forgiven. And then Jude says later that the sacrifice has been made once and for all. So here's the thing. There is nothing in your life that isn't forgiven. If you have received the forgiveness that he has already accomplished, all you have to do is receive it. If you have received that, then don't you dare. I I don't know why. There are people time after time after time, they come back and they pray for the exact same thing over and over again as if your sin is too great. How arrogant are we? If he He says that the price has been paid if we believe that sin has been dealt with. If you have given it to him, if you have received forgiveness, then let it go. I have been told that my sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. I'm not a good good guy with direction. I can't tell you if that's north, south, east, or west, nor do I care. All I know is that if I take off here tonight and I start going east... I'll never find myself going west. That's how simple that is. Now, if I go north, eventually I'll have to go south. Unless you buy into the whole flat world thing. I thought that was settled back in the 1400s. There are people that still believe it's flat. I mean, they just need to go fall off, I guess. I'm going home, it's untelling what will come out of my head, and I'm, I've got all kinds of medicines in me. I've been mixing stuff probably you're not supposed to mix, but anyhow. You'll never. If you go east, you'll never. My sins have been cast as far as the east is. I used to sing a song that my sins have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. And then we asked the question, How deep is that sea? And I'll tell you, Kelly, I don't know how deep it is. But I'd also say don't go fishing there. I am speaking words of freedom to somebody tonight. The enemy has kept you down long enough. God has great plans for you. He wants to use you exactly where you are. And you keep tripping over his lies. If your sins have been forgiven, if you have received it, settle it tonight. It's done. Because this is our story. You cannot do anything about your past. But because it is our story, I need to tell you. You can do everything about today and tomorrow. It's not an excuse to stay in the mess you're in. If you weren't the good father you should have been yesterday, you can determine by his help and through his spirit 
that you're going to be the father that he intends you to be today. If you were a rotten mom yesterday, by his spirit and by his grace, you can be the mom that he intends you to be today. And I'm going to take it a step further. We don't talk about stuff like this very often anymore. He was on a cross. We're not. So if there is someone that you have wronged, you do have a responsibility to try to make that right. I'm just putting that out there. If you want to be who you are meant to be, then you need to do as he would have you to do. You can't change what you did. But by his spirit and through his grace, you can be today. You can do everything. You start talking about restitution, people get quiet. You talk about things being cast into the sea that you never see again, they just shout. But then, preacher, you talk about making restitution, and people just kind of, they might have to pay a little back tithe. I'm just saying. Nothing more sickening than a board meeting, board member that doesn't pay his tithes. I'll just say it. Because it's the truth. How dare you think you have any right to spend God's money when you aren't willing to put your own in there? I'm just saying. You can't change what has happened. But from this point on, you can be who you're intended to be. Because this is our story, Jesus has taken our place. Because it's our story, you can't change the past, but you can determine your future. And because this is our story, I love this. It shows me that you're never too far from forgiveness. God, the God that we have, he's painted incorrectly so often. He is a God that is quick to save. He is quick to forgive. As long as there is breath in your body, anyone who will call out to him, recognize and affirm who he is and receives what he's already offered. I am thankful for that. That's good news for you. Even if you've already been saved, it's good news because that means your kids aren't too far gone. Some of you have written them off. Some of you think there's just no way. It's just not going to happen. No, 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 no. As long as there is breath in their body, there is hope. That, that, that tells you that the homosexual isn't too far gone. You don't like to talk about it. I mean, you'll embrace the adulterer, but you don't want to talk about the homosexual. Hey, sin is sin. They need Jesus. So does the adulterer. <laughs> I'm preaching to you tonight. You need to understand there is hope. As long as that no one is too far, he is quick to forgive anyone who recognizes and affirms who he is. Because this is our story. Today, he's in our midst. It's amazing to be just as then. He is here now. When he ascended, he sent his spirit. The comforter, the enabler, the empower. The one who sticks closer than a brother. The one who never leaves nor forsakes.
the, the shoulder that you can always cry on, the ear that you can always talk to. He is here tonight. So I wonder why would any of us not receive what he's offering? If you're here and you haven't received that forgiveness, mercy, what a night to do it. If you're here and you're held down by your past, why not let it go and leave this place freer than you've ever been, freer than that chick was in that Disney cartoon, Anna or Elsa, whoever she was. All I know is that we can experience freedom. A freedom that only he can bring. Because he shared in our story. It's ours. So Jesus tonight. I'm thankful for this reminder. The only hope we have is found in you. Because you did shed your blood intentionally so that we could have a part in your story. I thank you so much for the First Church of the Nazarene in Rock Hill. For the friendships that I've made over the years. For the people that have really become more like family to me than friends. I believe you have such great plans. But it starts with us. So tonight as we look at your story and realize it's ours set us free for the one who's enslaved by addiction set him free this is not a place of judgment it's a place of freedom set him free for the one who's chained to their past That's as strong as addiction. So would you loose those shackles as well? I don't know who, I don't know what, I just know you want to do something. You're moving. So help us to step into that flow tonight. And because of that, leave this place changed. Truly revived because it's our story. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed. I really believe that this is what God wanted me to share. It's been confirmed in my heart, and I actually believe that God wanted me to sing, I plead the blood <laughs> because I needed to be reminded that's the story.
there are altars here. You all are good people. I, I kid around a lot. I believe you are good people. So why would any of you want to leave not receiving what he has? Some of you are so defeated over what you've done. We've all been there. I've been there. He can set you free from that defeat. Why don't you come? Some of you are stuck in a routine, in a rut maybe. You can't turn that computer off. You can't put that beer down. You'll never do it on your own. Listen to me, I'm not speaking out of judgment to you. We've all struggled with things. He can help you. Do, he can accomplish in your life what you cannot, no matter how hard you try, if you'll just surrender it to Him. There are some husbands and wives here, perhaps, who've become more like roommates or co-workers. You don't speak to each other properly. You don't act right around the house. He can help you. In a moment, pastor's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. I'm just wondering why you haven't. Don't let this moment pass. Whether anybody else gets freedom, you can. I'm going to wait another moment. You know me, I don't drag this out, but I'm going to wait. If I could beg you, I would. Today is the day. You've wrestled long enough. Let it go. We're going to wait another minute. Just as I am, you don't have to clean up to come here. That's why you come. He'll do the work. Aren't you tired of acting like everything's all right? Why not just let him do a work and then things will be all right? I'm done. At the appropriate time, pastor will lead us in a closing prayer, but there's still time. There's still time. If you need to come, you come.